First Thessalonians 4 is what we're going to be looking at tonight. Page 960 in the Pew Bibles. So the Honest to God series that we've been doing over the year ends tonight with this question that you wanted asked and answered. What does life after death look like? And this one more than the others had me go, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's not like I've been there and come back with a first-hand witness. But we have great things in Scripture that point to a common narrative. And so we're going to be taking a look at this passage in particular and then pulling in a few others along the way as reference. 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll read verses 13 to 18. This is Paul. He's writing this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. I think for most of us, we think about heaven the way we think about that moment when we are going to hand in our last exam. Right? You can taste it. Right? You know that when you have that piece of paper in your hand and you put it on your professor's desk, you are free. You are done. You have done all the things that needed to be done. You are done, D-O-N-E, done. And then you get to enter into the rest. You enter into rest. You have a season in your life where you can only read the books that you want to read. Ooh. You have a season in your life when you don't have to spend hours a day like this. You are done. You are free. It is over. I think a lot of us think about heaven like that. Like we're crossing the finish line. We handed in the final exam. We have done it, baby. We are done. It is over. We are D-O-N-E done. Woo! Heaven. But that's not all there is. You see, I think a lot of us because of notions in popular culture or because of things that we've picked up kind of through Christianese language, we really believe that heaven is just pie in the sky and the sweet by and die when you die. That's it. And then you're all good. Then you're just up there doing heaven stuff. But scripture actually teaches that the timeline looks more like this. If you die before Jesus comes back, your body is buried, your soul goes to heaven, and then you, 
you wait because that's not all there is. Because scripture teaches us that Jesus is going to return, and when Jesus does return, you will rise from the dead, body and soul united together, and you will reign with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. So the fact that we think like, heaven, D-O-N-E, done, woo, is like, you know, going to a wedding rehearsal dinner and thinking, wedding, woo. It's like, nothing's happened here. (laughs) We practiced. We ate food. Nobody married yet. This is what Paul was writing about to the Thessalonians. See, the Thessalonians, like many people in the early church, believed that Jesus would come back during their lifetimes. Like, they really thought he could come back any day. In fact, some of them quit their jobs. They're like, don't need this anymore. Jesus come back. Right? Like, you'd be like, I'm not taking finals. Jesus is coming back. How many of you admit this? (laughs) How many of you are like, you could come back now. Now would be great. Anytime within the next maybe four days. The Thessalonians thought Jesus was going to come back within their lifetimes. And so that's how they lived. They lived with this air of expectancy and urgency. And so Paul had to tell them, no, keep your jobs. Stay in school. This is a good choice. But they started to worry because they'd been waiting for Jesus long enough that people in their community had begun to die off. And they thought, well, what happens to them? This created a lot of anxiety. And so Paul writes to them, and he says, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. This is how it's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. And he has these great language about the sound of the trumpet and the cry of the archangel. And then he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. There's going to be a resurrection. The friends that you've lost, the people who have died, they are going to rise. And along with you, they are going to meet the Lord in the air. He says, we're going to be with the Lord forever. Then he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And scholars who've looked at the language that he uses to describe this meeting say that what Paul is describing is very similar to how people would greet the emperor if he were to come into their city. If the emperor were to come into your city, there would be trumpets sounding. There would be people announcing his arrival. And if you were in the city that he was coming to, you wouldn't stand at the city limit and just be like, "Uh, do you think that's him? I I don't really. I mean, it could be dust. No, there was this sense when the emperor was coming to your city, you went out to meet him. You went to meet him and then walked him back in. It's like some of you have friends who've been gone for the entire semester, and you miss them, and you can't wait. It's not like you're going to be sitting home watching reruns of Friends when they land. No, you are going to the airport when they come back right? You're going to meet them at the airport. And if you really miss them, you're going to have like flowers and chocolate and stuff like that to say, I'm so glad you're back. I would have met you in the air were it physically possible (laughs) because I'm so excited that you're coming back. Paul says that's the language here, that it's like Jesus is coming back. We're going to meet him in the air and then we're all coming back together. That's 
the idea. So let's talk a little bit about this resurrection business. Because I know some of you are right now going, really? Yeah, really. You see, we say in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the resurrection of the body. And when we say that, we're not just talking about Jesus' body. We're talking about all y'all's bodies. You like that? <laughs> all of us are going to be resurrected. That's what's going to happen. If we die before Jesus returns, and by the way, some of you may not die before Jesus returns, you are going to be resurrected. And so how we learn about resurrection is by looking closely at the one person we know well who actually was resurrected, Jesus. We look at Jesus. What was his body like? What was he like after resurrection? And there are some really great things that we see in Jesus. One of them was he still liked to eat. <laughs> yes! This is a value, right? Jesus loved a good party while he was alive, when he was resurrected, still loved a good party. He, he shows up in the disciples, and they're like, whoa. And he's like, hey, I'm a little snacky. You got anything to eat? And they give him a piece of fish, and he eats it to prove that he's not a ghost, that there's something real, that there's a physicality to him. It's not that when Jesus became incarnate, he kind of put on a human suit, and then when he ascended into heaven, he took off the human suit. No, he is still incarnate. He still has a body. And so his resurrected body still has certain things that our bodies are going to have, like the ability to eat. And he was also able to be recognized by people who knew him. People could see him say, I know you, it's Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, a great chapter on resurrection. He says that over 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. Over 500 people. I know, that's, that's that Jesus. He was recognizable. So he could eat. He had a physicality. He had a realness. He was flesh. He was recognizable. And then he's got a couple of things that I think are pretty cool. One of them is, apparently, Jesus in his resurrected body was not bound by time or space. So he's walking with this couple to Emmaus, right? They're all, oh, everything's all going to, it's awful, they hate it. Uh. And he's like, really? What's, what's going on? And they have this whole conversation. They're kept from recognizing him. He gets to the table. He breaks the bread. Their eyes are opened, and whoosh, he's gone. Right? The disciples are all in the locked room. They're all kind of scared. They're all kind of looking around. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Shalom. Somebody check the door, like, how do this? Right? So there's this really interesting aspect to Jesus' new resurrected body where he doesn't see bound by time or space. And then I think one of the most beautiful parts of Jesus' resurrected body is that he has scars. Right? He says to Thomas, look, look, feel. Scars only come with healing. They only come with healing. So somehow, between the trauma that his body suffered on Good Friday, the 
marks on his back from the whips and the, the puncture wounds in his skin on his head from the crown of thorns and the nails in his hands and his feet and the spear in his side, these open wounds somehow are healed. That's what a resurrected body looks like. Some of us carry around wounds that are in desperate need of healing. We have deep internal things that seem to just fester and not really heal well. Some of us have chronic mental health issues and we try to kind of keep our lives together with good therapy and good medication, but boy, wouldn't it be better if this were just done? Some of us would really like to see. Some of us would really like to hear. Some of us would really like to walk. A few weeks ago, Paul and I had a conversation about heaven, didn't we, Paul? You guys know Paul. He's our brother who worships with us most Sundays. We had this great conversation about heaven because Maria, right there, painted a friend of his sister, Abby, painted this beautiful picture of heaven for Paul. So I said to, to Paul, I said, uh, I said, Paul, what do you think is going to be the best part of heaven? And do you remember what you said? Walking. Walking. Yeah. No wheelchairs. That's right. Because your resurrected body is healed. Scars are a form of healing. And so when we sit here and we think about heaven just kind of being separate from our bodies, that's, that's like a pause button. It's not how we're supposed to be. The resurrected body is whole and healed. And that's what Jesus points us to. So we are resurrected. We are raised to life. In kind of an old, new blend with the fingerprints of God all over us. That's the resurrection of the body. Now, doesn't that sound great? Don't you want to sign up for that? That's how wonderful. I have um, celiac disease, which means that I can't eat uh, wheat, barley, or rye, which is why I always have the gluten-free basket when we do communion at the table. And so, this may seem like a really limit of God, but like I have this big eschatological vision of like sitting at a table and eating pizza and beer with Jesus. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm gonna be healed up. That's why the fact that Jesus eats very important to me. The resurrected bodies are healed and whole and new, and they've got the fingerprints of God's healing all over them. And then he raises us for a purpose. He raises us so that we can work with him to bring the kingdom of God on earth. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. And the old earth and the old heaven had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And then there was this voice from heaven 
They came and said, now the dwelling of God is right among his people. He's going to be with them. He's going to watch over them. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no more sadness or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away because God says, I am making everything new. That's new heaven. That's new earth. And when we think about the kingdom of God, when we think about the new heaven and the new earth, we've got that vision from John about what's it going to be like, no more mourning or crying or sadness or pain. And we have the vision of what it was like when Jesus was on earth. Because in the ministry of Jesus on earth, we have a glimpse of that kingdom coming down. What does it actually look like when the kingdom breaks through? Because Jesus says this from time to time to people, right? The kingdom of heaven is drawn near. He says, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is bursting forth. The kingdom of God. And so who is Jesus when he's bringing in the kingdom of God? Jesus is the one who reconciles all things to himself, and he reconciles us to each other. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about uh, godly men and godly women and the fracturing that happened in the fall, and the fracturing that happened between people, men and women, everybody, and the fracturing that happened between God and God's people? What we see in the ministry of Jesus is that he is bringing those things all together. What did he get in trouble for the most? Partying, eating, drinking with the wrong people. You see, Jesus, in our culture, we have limits to these things. Those people eat over there. These people eat over here. You really want to be one of these people. So Jesus' ministry is about saying, you people, come over here. You people, I'll meet you here. Lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, Pharisees, people who've been faithful to your spouse the whole time, people who never cheated in an exam, come on, gather around the table. Just, just come on around the table. Oh, Samaritan woman at the well who I'm not supposed to talk to at all? Hi, right, come, on, come on over, have a seat. You, person on the margin, who has never been part of the cool crowd, who still finds it hard to make friends, come. This is your place. You, the one who hides behind ultra-competence and good grades, that nobody knows the sorrow in your soul, come. You who are angry at God for something that happened long ago that you can't quite let go of, you come. Because the kingdom of God is about bringing people who are far away near, bringing people who are lost home, taking people who are broken and making them whole. That's what the kingdom of God is about.
And we talk here at Cowell College, maybe you've heard this. We talk about being agents of what? Renewal. It's that renewal that we're talking about. We're talking about things like finding the person in your dorm floor who has been marginalized all year and apologize to her and bring her in. It's about driving down a city street week after week after week and imagining what it will look like to change it. Imagining what it will look like when those houses are well built and the windows are all whole and then finding an agency in the city that does some of that work and getting involved in it. It's about reconciling and restoring and renewing all things. It's about saying to someone who hurt you last month, I forgive you. It's about going to a person who hurt you, going to someone you've hurt and say, I confess, I hurt you. It's so tempting right now at the end of the semester to think, doesn't matter. All I have to do is live with this person for one more week and then it's done. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about reconciliation. The kingdom of God is about forgiveness. The kingdom of God is about moving toward each other. The kingdom of God is among you, says Jesus. So when we do things that imitate our Jesus, when we lay down our lives for another, when we willingly, even though it's not our turn, clean off the shower really well so that the RA will check our checkmark slip and we can check out of the dorm. When it's not our turn and we take the razor blade and we take the Tilex and we go at that shower, the kingdom of heaven has come near. When you go... <laughs> Somebody's got... Anybody want to bring the kingdom into my shower? That'd be awesome. <laughs> when you act kindly toward the people who have served you meal after meal after meal in the dining hall, and you say to them this week, thank you so much for doing this for us. Thank you so much. Is there any way I can pray for you today? If you do that to them, the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. If you write at the end of your blue book next week, if you write on there a little note to your professor and say, thank you so much. There are things that I know now that I did not know when I started this class, and my faith is deepened and my world is expanded. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you write that, the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. When you make a choice again and again to say, I am going to be a person who acts for reconciliation, I am going to be one who acts for renewal, then the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It is already among us, Jesus said. And it is just a glimpse, a beautiful glimpse of what is going to come. There's a line in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says this, God, your will be done on earth. And then what's the next line? As it is in heaven. Which gives us an image that heaven and the new heaven and the new earth together are places where the will of God is simply done. 
It is simply done out of obedience, and there is no conversation about how we're going to do it, and there's no argument, and there's no scandal. There's no confrontation. There is just beauty because everyone is in obedience to the will of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when you act for righteousness and when you push for justice and when you break through sexism and racism and your own deep pride and arrogance, when you move more and more to looking more and more like Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven... Resurrection, new heaven, new earth. And Tony Campolo says, the kingdom of God is a party. So if this is the wedding rehearsal and the dinner, this is the wedding. This is the party. This is water into wine. This is the bride dressed for her bridegroom. This is the reunion of the lovers who are separated at the fall. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a party. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again, and will return someday to raise us up, because of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we are all invited to the party. The kingdom of God is a party. Thanks be to God. Amen. You pray with me. Glorious and mighty. That's what you are, our God. And when the psalmist wrote, better than one day, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He was talking about moments like this in the temple with real other people that we need to worship with and love and respect. So help us. Help us to live as agents of renewal. Help us to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Help us to live as Jesus lived. And we pray to Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. <laughs>